We're so glad to have you back on Rewrite Motherhood. Today, we're talking to my friend, Chelsea Gibson. Chelsea and I met as parents at our child's school, and over the last year, I've been the beneficiary of her endless wisdom. Soon, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. Chelsea recently had her third baby, little Moses, and she has resumed work full-time at the Brief Lab, which is a communications company that trains professionals to communicate in a clear, concise, and attractive way. I'm so excited about this conversation with Chelsea because first of all, she's our first guest who is not a doctor or a lawyer. And (laughs) doctors and lawyers are always glad to be around people who aren't doctors or lawyers. Um, One thing I love about Chelsea is that she strives for professional excellence in every way, but she has purposely chosen a career that is both flexible and artistic. And I think a part of that is to make maximum room for motherhood and her service to our community. So I've specifically invited Chelsea on the podcast today to talk about discernment in our commitments and lifestyles as mothers. And I can't wait to hear what she has to teach us. Chelsea, welcome on the show. Thanks, Cynthia. It's good to be here. Well, there are many things that we could talk about today, but what I would love to focus on is discernment in motherhood. We've had this conversation before, Chelsea, about how sometimes it just feels like our decisions, especially in early motherhood, have so much impact. And we put all of this stress onto, should I stay at home? Should I go to work? Should I do this? And it can just feel I think you use the word paralyzing. So tell us about that and kind of how you view those sorts of decisions. Yeah. So, um, I think that something that for me helps take the pressure off of first, first of all, let me back up. There are so many moments of discernment as I think just a woman, like full stop, a professional, single, married, mother, friend, like you're just constantly discerning and making decisions. And I think a really good anchor and starting point that sort of can relieve the pressure from that is that one answer that is always present is that you are never off the hook for prayer, for charity, and for service. And even if you aren't someone who prayer in a religious or spiritual sense, but in the sense of self-reflection and taking quiet to make sure you are considering kind of this thing that you need to discern. Um, I think that's a really, really key part. And in the life and the noise we live of the daily life to not be intentional about that. If you aren't intentional about that, it's just not going to happen. And so um, what, and so prayer, charity and service. And I think it's really liberating to realize like, okay, I feel paralyzed. I don't know what to do to always go back to that anchor. Like I'm going to keep setting aside dedicated time to pray and reflect about it. I'm going to make sure that I'm living charity in that self-sacrificial way of putting others first and really wanting what's best for them, even when things are hard and then service of giving of ourselves, getting out of ourselves and, and giving to others and making the way easier for others. And so a lot of times when we're faced with these moments of discernment, the answer isn't going to come like the, the moment it hits us. Like I need to decide X. 
the answer is not necessarily going to come that afternoon. And so in that intervening time, if we can put our energy into prayer and charity and service, I think that for me, definitely the answers start becoming clear when you sort of proactively apply yourself to those things. So I think it yeah. takes a lot of pressure off and it helps. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because I've had a lot of these moments in the last year. Um, Chelsea knows this, but I haven't really talked about this in the podcast yet that for me, the fourth baby has been the hardest transition. And I've had these moments where I've had either kind of a big decision or even a small decision where I felt like I can't make a decision. Like, why is this so hard for me to make this decision? And it's really, it's not the decision that I need to be made. It's like that decision is a symptom of a lot of other things. Hmm. And the reason I can't make a a decision about it is because it's like uh, a satellite war of all this other stuff going on. Yeah, interesting. So I'll use one, a big example and a small example, both which Chelsea, you've talked me through small example is we had to go to my brother's wedding in Nashville and I could not figure out, I could not decide how we were going to get the four small children to the wedding. There were clearly defined options. There was like split it into two days over a car trip. There was fly there was rent a sprinter van and do like a camper van experience <laughs> there, which is what we did by the yeah. way, which was super fun. I highly recommend that. Um, but for some reason I couldn't figure out what we should do. And it was because I had a lot of feelings about suddenly having a big family. I had a lot of feelings about overwhelm and responsibilities at the wedding and responsibilities with the kids. And I really needed to spend that time in reflection and getting counsel from people, um, to be able to like make a decision. Um, and Chelsea, you walked me through that, but really quick, one bigger example is when I was trying to decide three months after Georgie, our fourth baby was born, should I return to work? And it was like, I don't know if you remember that conversation, Chelsea, but I could, could not figure it out. And do you remember like what you told me? I, I don't for being honest, <laughs> I, can no, guess. I bet I, I hope, I hope because of consistency, I would give you the same advice, but maybe not. Dude, I'm a you different did. person. Were, I'm still, I'm working now, but what did I say? You were like, you need a, you were like, you need a break. You need to like, think about this. And it turns out that I thought about, I just was like, okay, I need like several more months to just think it all through and to spend time in reflection. And it ended up causing me to do think, reorder my life and do all these things. So I'm now making this about me and this is about you, Chelsea, but it's just an illustration that sometimes moments of discernment can really be times when like we're being called to be much more intentional and and ask, why is this such a big decision? Yeah. Well, I know I, I like the examples you gave and I think I'm just thinking about the various things I've been discerning over the past, like say like literally today, but also like (laughs) weeks and months, but, um, like putting, so balancing my husband, my kids, my relationship with God, my job that I find really fulfilling and I really enjoy contributing to. And then all the other people in my little circle of universe who help support our family life because I work and I don't know how long I'm going to work full time, but I do feel like after praying about it and, and praying for all those people, 
I think we, it's a circus, but I think we do have a good harmony right now. And I think I do feel like I have lots of avenues where I'm serving others. I'm being like vulnerable and, and accepting the help of others. But I think mm-hmm. those relationships are really fruitful for my kids and for our family life. And I think my, the, the avenues I'm contributing and helping at work are, are grounded in charity and, and in service. And so that, you know, almost rubric checks out for the decisions that I've currently made. You know, we just, and I'm thinking about what you said with your brother, we just decided to fly to a wedding to see friends in Chicago and um, family in Chicago and ditch the idea of a road trip. And I have so much peace about it. And part of it is because we want to help my father-in-law who just had surgery. So like, just thinking about all those things, like, and, and balancing these competing priorities of who needs our help, who needs our love and affection, who needs our time right now? Is it immediate family, extended family, friends, the people I volunteer with my coworkers, you know, where uh, that can be a lot. And so constantly navigating all of that with this idea of prayer and charity and service, I think is helpful. I also think ch- charity, I, I, I think it can seem a little vague, but I, we were talking about this, Cynthia, but this concept from a book I really like called Virtuous Leadership of magnanimity, which is like a greatness of spirit that overflows, I think Mm -hmm. is really important for working mothers, especially in terms of our contributions to our family and society, but it's to, to strive for great things and to challenge myself and others. And, um, it, it's a generosity that's like an, overflow of your interior life. And so it's not just like give, give, give and expend until I'm spent and I have a nervous breakdown. It's, you know, resting in that confidence of like, I have unique talents to give and share to my family, to my job, to my friends. And I need to really make sure I, I nourish them and take care of them so that I can be of service to others. And then Mm -hmm. I have to challenge myself to have it overflow and, and to give and contribute to others. So, so what do you say to the woman? I'm thinking about stretches of my life. Um, when I was working 50, 60 hours a week and I, I literally, I told Grant one time when we, I started at the law firm and he was at the law firm and we just had a baby. I said, Grant, we are going to be like monks. We are going (laughs) to have work and we're going to have this baby and we're not going to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And I, we, of course we did. We, you know, hung out with people. We had friendships, but there have been seasons in my life where I felt like I was maxed out. So can you speak to, what about someone listening to this? Who's totally in the trenches, who just feels like, what is she talking about? Charity service. Like I'm just Mm -hmm. coming home trying to survive. And so, okay. It's not glamorous at all. But like you just said, there are seasons and I, I just, there are sometimes depending, I go through them myself for sure. I just was able to talk to my best friend today on the drive over here. And I, I'm like astounded. I'm like, I just want to go down to Houston and give her a hug and be like, you are doing hard things. Like, this is amazing, <laughs> you know? And so it's not fun, but I think it's real. And that if all you can do is get up and feed the people in your house do your duties and get back to sleep. But you can think about when all these other people or these other things you'd like to be doing, these extended family members, these friends you want to reach out and you can do 
those basic things for others, there's a real, I think, economy of grace that goes on where when we do hard things and we think, and all, if all you can do is throw up a thought and a prayer for that person while you're throwing up your four kids or throwing up. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, talk about grace and, you know, you really don't, until we get to, until we get to heaven, we're not going to know, um, all those times where we offered up a hard thing for someone else's intention, you know, Mm -hmm. that, how much grace and that spurt of grace. And, and when you're constantly doing that and in tune with it, I think you can feel, I, I definitely know I can feel the prayers of others. When, when I look back, I'm like, how did I get through that hard time? And like, first of all, I was attempting to pray. It didn't even like really succeed, but I was attempting to, I didn't like throw in the towel on that. And then I realized like other people were praying for me, you know? And so mm-hmm. don't underestimate that. And really it, it's one of those things where like, if you don't believe it, like say, like increase my faith. And I, again, like, I don't even think you have to be particularly religious to believe that just that solidarity of like knowing like someone else is caring about me and like bearing this burden with me on their heart. Like that's really comforting. Um, And then to the extent that you can just find the time to literally send a two line text message. that says like, Hey, thinking about you and your, um, the bar that you, your husband's taking this week, or mm-hmm. I know your kids were sick and I have, I know, I hope everybody's feeling okay. We I've been offering like the afternoon screaming hour for you guys, you know, whatever. Yeah. It be. yeah. No, that's a really good idea. Like if, if you're not only to offer something up for somebody, but to actually send the text, yeah. um, and you hear this in secular culture all the time where people say, I'm sending good vibes. Yeah. Or with you in spirit or with you in solidarity. And so of course, as a Catholic, I think that there's actual spiritual significance to that, but you can even see an impulse, um, to that. If there's you're not a hu- for sure, there's a human psychological like level to it. That's not even on a supernatural level. So I right. think it's really, it's good regardless. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's, that's too. So what, so when you're like service, I, I don't have time for service projects. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, it's like this humility of not always thinking about yourself, have your inner dialogue, you know, to make sure you form your inner dialogue so that it's not everything I have to do today, what I'm overwhelmed about, everything I'm anxious about, you know, this just little inner dialogue of like my little world, but that like, um, if we can overcome our selfishness and our self-centeredness and, and be thinking about others throughout the day. So yeah, you don't have like tangible time for others, but you, your heart and your mental energy can be oriented towards others. And I Mm -hmm. strive to live that. I definitely do not succeed every day, but by when you strive to live that, I think it makes you leads to happiness. Mm-hmm. So um, let's, so that. let's talk about that too. Like I know for some women we hear one of the things that is pretty astounding on our little work on rewrite motherhood is just the number of women who have not found that sweet spot of a community where they feel like they're kind of regularly talking with people of like mind who are like-minded and you know, it can be really hard for adult grown up women who are busy with kids or busy with work or just, it can be just hard to find good friendships. So 
Um, I'm curious what thoughts you have about how we can like cultivate genuine friendships in our life as women, as mothers. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's hard first of all. And I think don't, uh, I think we shouldn't get discouraged because it's like ultimately outside of our control. It's like, you could want so much to be a friend to someone and they might not have the headspace to like return that. But I think being vulnerable, um, is an important quality, you know, and having a, a humility, um, to, to be open to others and to ask for like their input or their help. Um, so I, I think being vulnerable is a really important one and to not have, to not approach every encounter with like that you have an answer or a resolution or, you know, to just to be like, I'm struggling with blank or mm-hmm. to be able to say like, this is overwhelming me and then rest in that and, 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 and have a friend, there and and then to be be able to to the extent of your season in life you know to be able to give when someone comes to you that way um and then i i think another place vulnerability comes in and this is something that you and i've talked about cynthia but i think it's really important as mothers well as mothers and professionals and then to the extent as you move that bar um whether you're all the way on one side like uh, focusing on your profession maybe your kids are grown or maybe you haven't had kids yet mm-hmm. maybe you're still single but also um you could still have spiritual motherhood by the way when you're in that category you actually might have more capacity to be giving um mentorship and guidance to others but when you're in that middle zone where we are right now with like little kids who physically need us as mothers but also we have our careers or you are full-time a mom right now you still have a lot of professional goals and endeavors and ambitions as you raise your kids and raise your house okay across all of there I we cannot do this in a vacuum and I really think it's important to have mentors and guides and I actually like I think it was my sister-in-law who I, I just really love and admire she's a financial planner this idea of having almost like your personal board of directors so um who get a little assortment of people, former teachers, uh, family members, uh, former bosses or mentors, like employees, good girlfriends, your spouse. Um, but you know, to make sure you surround yourself with like a little team of people that, you know, like these are people that I really trust that I can go to with my challenges, my hopes, my dreams. Don't keep all of that in your crazy imagination. Like your imagination, <laughs> when you let it run wild and you don't like check and balance it with the people that God put around you in relationships, um, is your imagination is going to like, I guarantee you lead you down like bonkers paths. <laughs> and so to constantly be Wait, like, but follow your heart, Chelsea. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think <laughs> and so I And I think what's ironic about it is that the more you educate and inform and inform your heart by entrusting it to others, um, then ironically, your imagination is going to be like informed by the prayer, by the, by the voices of these people that you trust also like great spiritual writers or great thinkers in terms of like what you read, you know, but the more you form your conscience, your heart, your imagination with good conversations with friends, family mentors, good reading. Yeah. You're going to 
be better equipped to make those decisions on your own in a vacuum. But if you think about it, like being an elite athlete, you reach this peak point of physical performance. You don't just sit, plop on the couch, kick your feet up and start eating potato chips for days. <laughs> like you have to constantly keep at it, get up the next day. So like, I just, I really don't think you can ever be like, okay, I'm overwhelmed. So I'm just going to go down my vacuum train and just like, keep it all inside. And also I will say to the extent of a professional therapist might be a good role for that. I huge proponent for that. And also uh, for those who are Catholic, a priest in confession, but or for, for just Christians, like a trusted spiritual, you know, mentor. And that takes vulnerable. I guess that was a long tangent to say that takes vulnerability to call up an old boss and say, Hey, I really, um, I, you know, you knew me well when we worked together and I really admired your leadership and your guidance. And I'm at a pivot in my career. Do you have 15 minutes where I could just bounce off the pros and cons of this decision? Like, that takes a lot of vulnerability to ask that of someone. Um, but like, I doubt they're going to say no, you know, or they might say, oh my gosh, not till next month, but still, or it doesn't hurt to ask. It just doesn't hurt to ask. Um, right. Right. So. I, I, I love that. And it just, there's so many directions to go with that. One of them is that I was listening to this podcast the other day and this guy was basically saying that to talk is to think. And he was basically saying that language is like, we don't really think without language basically. So when you talk to somebody about something, you're actually thinking about something. And, you know, when you verbalize something to another person and they're verbalizing a thought back to you, you're really in the process of finding meaning. And it just makes me think of how easy it is to be kind of trapped, like in your house or, at your desk and not be giving enough time to like fleshing things out with, with people and, and mm -hmm. verbalizing and talking. And, and, you know, the more you talk to your friends, the more you have to talk about because you're, you're cut, you've caught up with them. Um, and I just have to plug, as you were talking, I was thinking about my friendship with you, Chelsea, and my friendship with other friends to find the ability to find a method of communicating constantly that is convenient mm -hmm. is such a gift yeah. for me. That gift has been these voice memos on iMessage. I'm with you. <laughs> you and I send them all the time. Yeah. And I feel like I need to on rewrite motherhood. Um, Christine and I should do like a little how to, yeah, because we, we send those things to each other. And for those of you who've never done it before, basically there's a little microphone button next to the send button on iMessage. And you just hold that down and it records your voice. Uh, it's not perfect. There are a no number of kind of annoying things about the whole interface, but I've started to send them to everybody in my life. And I now am voice memoing people all day long, very similar concept to Marco Polo. Although Marco Polo is not ideal because not everybody's on the app. Right. So, um, but yeah, but like, but like, and as a mom, time I just feel like I need as little friction as possible. So like to have to go into another app and it, like logged me out. I actually like <laughs> my in-laws use Voxer, which I think a lot of people use. I think it's really voice memos are the same thing, but the fact that voice memos are in line with text messages, which I'm in all day, mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. like, yep, I can handle this. It didn't take it. So it's really actually embarrassing how much <laughs> shaving those like few seconds off 
makes it like possible for me because there's just so much noise. And if I like go to that <laughs> screen where there's another app, all of a sudden I'm on Instagram and I'm like, what am I doing? I know. Like I've got to do stuff right now. <laughs> I know. I know. That's so yeah. And then you wake up in a daze and you're like, what happened? I was scrolling yes. for like yes. 20 really minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but just, you know, this concept of like being in constant communication with these, this board of directors and it's a two-way street, right? We can't just constantly yeah. go. I, I feel like I'm going to Chelsea with my problems all the time, but trying to think of like, how are ways that I can also give to yes. these other people and be there yeah. for them. And, and wow, I'm so humbled that this person spent time with me. How can I possibly do something, whether it's just praying for them or just being there for them to kind of like reciprocate that. Yeah. Well, and I think if you're not, it, chances are you, if you're, yeah, if you're thinking like, well, I need all the advice and I have none to give, I guarantee you that's probably not true. But, um, the thing you can give is your attention and your, your validation and your encouragement. And like you said, your thoughts and your prayers. And I, uh, I love social media and okay, whether you're on it or not. So if you're on it, one thing that I think is good is to personally acknowledge and and validate and affirm people with in a private way not in likes and comments but to directly message them or even just take it off social media text them or when you see them be like that looked so fun I loved how you set up that birthday party or did you guys have fun at the zoo or like whatever it is like that seems awkward it's not they posted it on mm -hmm. social media you saw it you know to like engage with it on a personal level is a real gift you can give people and or to say or to say like that looked really cool or that looked really hard um wow i'm impressed or oh my gosh i feel for you like that is because people are whether they are doing it consciously or subconsciously they're they're putting all this stuff out into the social media universe and they're just wanting a personal i think we are wanting a personal reaction. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's something you can definitely give if you don't have advice to give, but um, you definitely, mm -hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure if you're, if you're listening, I'm sure you do have advice to give. And I think it's yeah that vulnerability of making yourself available or like asking for advice, then it, it subconsciously shows people like, and I'm available if you want advice back. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it was Ber Brene Brown who said that vulnerability is the currency of friendship. Oh, I like that. I but I, it really is. It, it's amazing. If you share something you're going through with somebody, how quickly they're, how quickly you can become friends. Yeah. Yeah. And as somebody who like, maybe I wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit too much. Um, I feel like sometimes people think, oh my gosh, you're sharing a lot. And I'm like, but I need you. I need you to <laughs> yeah. 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 This is like a, I don't know what the word is. You and I both, I think are like big time think, thinker out louder, think out louder. Yes. So, um, something that I damn chuckling about that you said that, what did you say to, to speak is to think or like what, what, what yeah, like, like to like, speak yeah. is to think. And like all thinking is in language. Yeah. So yeah. at work at my company, the brief lab, we teach about this concept called the elusive 600. So you can, people think at about 750 words per minute and we speak at about 150 words per minute. 
So we talk about the elusive 600, which is the gap between those two things. So whenever someone's speaking, there are 600 words in your brain that are rapidly like bouncing around. And Mm -hmm. I think, and that can, so you can use that for it can be used for good or for bad. So if you're not speaking clearly and if you're you're not if you're speaking nonsense, people's elusive 600 start wandering and they daydream and they start thinking about what they need to do next. But if you are speaking from the heart, if you're speaking and I'm thinking of the elusive 600 here in the context of friendship right now. But if you are being vulnerable, if you're really sharing something of your heart, that the other person is benefiting and so are you because your brain is moving faster than how you can talk. So as you talk Mm -hmm. out loud and you share what's on your heart or what you're struggling with, that elusive 600 in your brain is rapidly filling in the gaps and Mm -hmm. making the connections, you know, and as the listener, they're listening and they hear the words you're speaking, but their brain is moving a lot faster. And those 600 words are coming up with exactly what you maybe need to hear in the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think when you don't speak about good, real hard topics in friendship and you keep things surface level, that's when people's elusive 600 trails off. And they're like, this isn't very interesting. I feel like she's not even, I know the kind of stuff she's going through. Why is she just telling me everything is going great? You know, and like talking in these vague niceties like that, if, you know, so when people ask how you're doing, you know, to say like, honestly, it's kind of hard right now. Okay. That's going to really like their elusive (laughs) 600 is really going to zone in and be like, Oh, so she's going through something hard. I wonder if there's a way I can help or like, maybe she wants to talk about it. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I definitely think that it's happening to me right now, you know? Right. That John Dunn loud, was loud. It helps you think internally. Yeah, that's true. And John Dunn, who was a professor I had at Notre Dame, who was a Holy Cross priest who had this incredible course on basically life. And he, He said one of the like truisms in his course that was taught was we know more than we can say. And I remember thinking in college, what is he talking about? Because I'm a very like verbal person, but it is so true that the things that we experience and that we want to put into words, even the most eloquent writer can't quite put their finger on it. And so to listen with an ear to there's what this person is able to verbalize. And then there's everything behind that, like that elusive 600, as you say, or like the things that they can't say. And to like, know that it's not just like what they're saying, it's being there together and letting them like offer it and, Mm -hmm. and having that like reciprocity that I'm getting like metaphysical here, but that's what happens in a friendship is this giving. And how can you get to that point where you're really giving your, have that give and take. Well, and I think it too, it's the, when you have that board of directors of friends and mentors and a spiritual director, if you can find one and you, it's, it's really humbling, honestly, but as you go to them and you're like, Hey, I need your advice. Or can I talk through this with you? Or I'm struggling with blank. Inevitably uh, for, I think a lot of times you start talking out loud and you start, you start connecting the dots and coming up with your own answers and then that person listening is it's almost like ping pong or something but they're validating or they're being like oh I think you're actually being too hard on yourself or no I think you could do it like yeah try they help calibrate but really 
the more you grow in humility and as you know yourself, I do think it's a service people offer, but like a lot of times you can come. And I think that happens with you, Cynthia. And I really enjoy accompanying you on that journey. But like when you, you kind of, as you're processing it, I think, you know, the answers, you just need a trusted confidence. That's not your own crazy brain (laughs) to keep you moving through the thought process and validating it. And actually, as I say that, I'm pretty sure there's a word that they use in Spain. And I know as, and I do not know any Spanish, it's really embarrassing, <laughs> but it's this word means in, in the, if you're getting spiritual direction, it means accompaniment. Like they're just going to accompany you. It's not that mm-hmm. they're going to give you all the answers or like tell you what to do. Like, of course, in all, and a lot of times I think your freedom, you, you hear the advice and it can be really clarifying. And you're like, no, actually that's not what's going on. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to do that. But because I like heard like that other person helped me process it. I have confidence about my gut feeling of the path I do want to take. Mm-hmm. So I do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that model of friendship is a, com- a friendship as accompaniment. And that if we kind of view ourselves as moms kind of accompany each other on this journey, what a and- great, Yeah. And I think as, um, working moms, I do think it's important to make those intentional gestures to reach out, especially like I'm in super in tune with this as a full-time working mom. Uh, I, and I say that at like, I'm, my job is super flexible. They really, it's so family friendly. My husband has a flexible job that's supportive. And I have two grandmothers around and phenomenal babysitters. Like I think it's an infant who sleeps. I think (laughs) it's really important to say all that because I don't want like that, that enemy of comparison, like, and I am very, very open to being like, whoa, I can't be a full-time working mom right now. But like that, like day by day discernment, like it's going okay. And it's going well, you know, but like, I do, I think it's important to reach out to and acknowledge and not have it be like, I don't let people know at work that I'm a mom or like my clients that I work with. Um, and then my other coworkers who are moms to check in on them as fellow moms, you know, to not separate or compartmentalize our motherhood from our professional life, because we have this unity of life. And I think you guys have talked about it on either the podcast or the Instagram, but like they, I think the two sides of the coin inform and make us better versions of the other. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't think, and, and it, and I think the beautiful balance of it and why I like this project is there is no one size fits all formula. And for some people that might not be the case, you know, they're being a mom and and being a professional, like they might need to be one or the other. And that's, okay. And some jobs I think are a lot more demanding and, and it's not as realistic. Like, I just think it's, it's all okay. It says it doesn't have to, everyone's past does not need to look the same for us to have the same core unifying goals. Um, they could look a lot different to on the surface. I don't Yeah. No, no, you're so right. And you're hitting at what is one of, one of the central missions of rewrite motherhood. And that's to basically it's to acknowledge that every mother's path is unique, but also not to relativize so much that we just say, oh, it's all about what's good for you. You know, yeah. What, you know, cause there's a lot of that, that right. 
when you're trying to look for like-minded women or you're trying to develop the framework or the language, a lot of people just say, oh, just do whatever you want to do. And you're sitting here as a mom thinking, no, this decision is really impacts my life. And it impacts, you know, if I leave my law firm, it impacts my clients, it impacts my pro bono projects, it impacts all these things. And, but if I stay, um, how am I going to deal with this kid issue that my kid has? And so they're deeply meaningful decisions. And usually there is a right answer. It's just that the answer is different for each person. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. And it's, it's sometimes hard to, um, it's sometimes hard speaking of friendship to find people who you can speak about this stuff openly with, because you're so you're concerned that if you decide one thing, they're going to think it's a reflection on them. Like so Mm -hmm. many women have come to me after I left big law saying, tell me, you know, tell me the real story. Like what, you know, other, especially other lawyers, like, what was it that made you leave? And is there something secret about being a stay-at-home mom that we're not getting? Like, basically, can you confirm all my worst fears that I'm screwing up my kids by staying in the firm? Yeah. Um, And I did the same thing when I had met, when I was still practicing law full-time and I met other women who had gone home. I just was so deeply curious and yearned for like real answers and people speaking the truth about their experiences because I wanted to learn, but I felt like, a lot of people were kind of afraid to be honest. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and I do think something that I think, so yeah, like we should like, it's the the project of rewrite motherhood. There are these core, you know, concepts and principles that are, are, are objectively true and driving us forward, but they look so different on the surface level. You know, like once they bloom Mm -hmm. and blossom, they look so different, you know, and, um, for those who have pursued right out of the gate, this more objectively like elite and ambitious career path, it, it is, I, I think I observe and I would feel this way. I do feel this way. It's really hard when you're like, I've accomplished this objectively, like hard and great thing in the eyes of the world and profession. And right now I'm like cleaning up yet another blowout. Or I'm being asked to like, just draw pink circles over and over again on this piece of paper. And you can be very hard, I think, to shift your mind and be like, that is worthy and good and true as well. And so that, so I think it's important to just like acknowledge like, yeah, that's a hard transition, but it is, it informs so much of your motherhood and your friendship, even if you're not actively practicing big law. And I worked for 10 years in fundraising in the nonprofit world before we moved to Texas. And I I am so grateful for all that experience. And now, you know, I can help fundraise at my kid's school because I invested in that professional endeavor of like learning how to fundraise. And so don't ever say it's not like as, as it, the, the changes, it's not wasted and it's not like going away. It just maybe is, uh, I don't know, it's ebbing and flowing and that's beautiful. And then, mm-hmm. um, all work is worthy and valid. And so if it is, you know, scrubbing toilets or, um, just doodling with your five-year-old, you know, that is beautiful in the eyes mm-hmm. of God and that that's the season and that's where you're called to be right now. And that, mm-hmm. and then acknowledge that that's hard, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, 
even at our nonprofit, we had the the women who who cleaned the building did it with such professionalism and dedication and love and a standard of perfection that you knew like she would be cleaning like baseboards or the rails of the stairs and you knew she was thinking about all the kids and the families who worked there and like I remember speaking of board of directors my boss and mentor who hired me at my nonprofit it's an inner city tutoring and mentoring program for inner city girls in Chicago you know she would say like everybody else that seems you know the president of the board and she's directing the center and all these people on the staff and the volunteers she would say you know but also the love that our cleaning lady was putting into her job at that place mm -hmm. was the fuel that kept it going and like mm -hmm. i think i just i think she was so so right and mm -hmm. that shows that like you don't you could have all the um sort of knowledge and professional cred credentials and expertise in the world and um if you're not doing it for love like the, you could just be doing the simplest task but for love and i think you could be making a, a greater impact i would argue mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. that can be really yeah. liberating in the season of life you're in especially i think when we're in like little kid child rearing time if you've had this career and sort of educational path you've been on well i love all of this conversation let's just touch on one more thing before we wrap um you know you just had your third child you are a professional i know you have thoughts about discerning having another child can you tell us a little bit about you know how you would think through that question whether or not to have another child um in light of all your other commitments and and the two children you already have at home and that sort of thing yeah um i definitely think that is a day by day month by month year by year thing to constantly be you know calibrating with that prayer charity service to i i would never people like to ask me like how many kids you're gonna have and i'm like i don't know <laughs> however many God is going to give me and however many my husband and I can handle, like maybe three is all we're going to be able to handle psychologically and financially and with our other like vocational commitments. Um, but I hope and pray and try to be generous and magnanimous. And I, I'm hopeful that we could be able to say yes to more. Um, but I, I think one thing about that question is that it it is subtle but it implies like you know that we could first of all i don't believe that once a child is conceived that it can be disposed of and well i don't think that that's a choice it's a child of god and so when we live in a culture that does say that that does say you could dispose of that child subconsciously it implies that we could therefore summon or like will children and that like when we're ready for one we're entitled to one or that god's going to give it to us you know and so that is a great mystery and mm -hmm. um i think it's really important as well for catholics or for people who are open to big families to not assume that everyone can have a big family and that as people that like people who quote unquote only have two okay that's amazing and that's beautiful to have two kids or to mm -hmm. have zero kids and have a fruitful flourishing marriage is beautiful to just not assume that they don't want more kids i think that that's important it's just such a nuanced thing and mm -hmm. so i could have to i could go on a tangent forever but mm -hmm. for people who 
are blessed with uh, the ability and the fertility to have more than one or two kids. I do think it's, there's an economy of scale. And so, especially if you're working and if you um, really, if you applied yourself in college and went, worked really hard in college, I did, um, you know, you, you grew up in high school and college. We did, we grew up in high school and college. And then in our careers, I didn't get married right out of college. And you're, you're kind of in charge of pretty much your path and you can really um, set out on, you know, you can chart your course and relatively like it's mildly in your control. You're privileged. Um, That's maybe one way, a hot button way of saying like, if you're a a woman of privilege. Yeah. And so then you get pregnant. When I got pregnant, then I applied with the same level of like ambition and endeavor to like figuring out how to be a mom and how to be pregnant, how to give birth, how to raise a baby, research and listening to all these things and filling my board of directors now with moms that I really admire and trust. Like it, I put in a lot of work and energy to prepare to be a mother. And then I'm constantly like working at learning how to be a mother. Okay. That does not, that level of work and energy, it, it is not the same for the next two kids. Like I have some skills in my pocket and some stuff that mm-hmm. I learned about my first son that now, you know, by baby number three, I there. So anyways, is that like what we were talking about that economy of scale. And I think, um, the world tries to tell you that it's, it gets more overwhelming and sure in some capacities it gets overwhelming. And just like that, literally there's more hands on the children than there are hands on the parents. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just, I, I want to give, women especially working women that vote of confidence that like you are you can do it if you want to and you don't have Mm -hmm. to if you don't want to but like if you do want to you can do it and and I think people like to be like no it's going to be too much it won't jive with your professional endeavors and I I don't know I just so far um I it is for me I'm not attached to it um, in terms of like working with my kids, but I also, I am already excited. And I think about like where I want to lean in professionally once my kids are more independent and grown. Um, and right now I have a really awesome job that's conducive to having an infant. Um, and I'm grateful. I'm really, really grateful for it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. And I, you know, I don't know if any of my coworkers are going to listen to this, but like, yeah, I'm probably going to have another kid while I work at this company and <laughs> I am going to do everything I can to set the team up for success, but I'm going to be vulnerable and honest and say, you know, whatever year that might be, whether it's three, four, five years down the road. Okay. You've got 10 months of Chelsea working at her hardest this year. And mm-hmm. I am confident that like, that is good for my team and a service and contributes and is good for my family. You know, that it's, we don't have to give all of ourselves in one Avenue at all times. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that facets we've talked about and that, um, at, at work, we have this little tool we use for balancing all of the noise that you have in your life, where we, you say in my role as blank, 
the most important thing today is blank. And so it helps you realize like, okay, what are the roles I have that I need to focus on today? And then what do I need to do in those roles? And then at Mm -hmm. any given moment in the day, you really can only be one of those roles. Like multitasking is a myth, you know? And so Mm -hmm. it's like in my role as mom today, the most important thing to do is to close my computer, take an intentional break and read with my toddler. And if you set that intention in the morning, then you're more likely to do it than to just like vaguely hope that you'll remember to Mm -hmm. do that. Okay, not me. I definitely... I don't think I'm a workaholic, but I really like working. And so if I don't think to myself, okay, what things do I need to do around the house? What do I need to do for my husband? What do I do for my kids? What friends do I need to check in with? If I don't check those things first in the morning, like what we've been talking about, prayer and reflection, then I'll just open my computer and I'll be like, work, 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 work until somebody's Mm -hmm. like screaming in my face. Okay, that's not balanced, you know? And also like my job... it's a myth. My work does not need that level of like, like chipmunk, like active, like frenetic activity. Um, I can be more intentional and like, make sure I work well and focused when I am working and then switch gears in it. Like, I, I mean, as I say that my life's a circus, but, um, (laughs) but you do it so beautifully and you're such a good model of, uh, you know, I'll just kind of, we can wrap up with this, but everybody has a different personality and you're such a good example of somebody who has a sanguine, flexible, happy-go-lucky personality, how you're able to juggle all of these balls and you just don't let things ruffle you. Uh, Not everybody's wired that way. Some people are wired where things really do bother them if they're, you know, their house is a wreck or they have an email that's not been responded to um, or something like that. And so, you know, those people, are going to have a different, they're going to have to order I mean, their lives. I like surround myself with those types of people and I love them and <laughs> they keep the world turning and running too, yes. you know? So it's not, yeah, I, again, I think it's so that's, it's so good to know yourself and to talk about these things with your board of directors and to know, like, these are the talents and strengths and and things that I can contribute and then to own that and be confident and rest in it and not beat yourself up because I definitely have a lot of flighty things about my nature that are it's you know super tempting to beat myself up that I do not have an ounce of dedication to exercise and I know some of my more regimented (laughs) cleric friends who just like they it's so admirable how how well like they're so good at like exercising you know and it's I long for that and they inspire me and I will get there hopefully mm-hmm. someday, you know, but, um, we all have, it's, we all have our struggles and our, our challenges mm-hmm. and that's okay. It's good. Right. Right. Well, Chelsea, I'm so glad that you're on my board of directors in my life <laughs> and grateful that you've been on the podcast and I'm sure you'll be back many more times because we have a lot more to talk about, but thank you so much, Chelsea, for being here today. Thank you for having me, Cynthia. And thank you for using your skills to start these conversations and, and this project. I'm really grateful to accompany you in it because I love learning and listening and watching what you're up to and who you're bringing on this. So I'm excited to see how it grows. And I hope everyone knows that you're on Instagram to the people who are on there. And I think 
I want to say it like just really concretely be like, if you're listening to this and you (laughs) want someone, you're like, I like all this, but I don't know who to talk to. Like literally direct message the account and like Cynthia and I will talk to you. Like, Like, I mean that you could be a stranger and I'll carve out 15 minutes on a car ride around Dallas and I'll talk to you. So I don't it's, it's as simple as that, like be vulnerable and mm-hmm. ask, you know? So, um, I don't want anyone to feel alone if, as they hear all this and they're like, that all sounds great, but I need someone to talk to. Well, it can be us. So. Yay. Oh, thank you for adding that Chelsea. Thank cool. you. Thank you. All right, Cynthia. I'll talk to you Bye-bye. later. Thank Bye. you.